from UNH Cooperative Extension. This is Overinformed on IPM. been living under a rock, you have seen this week's bug. Maybe in your garden. Maybe in your windowsills. Maybe maybe there's one up in the corner on the ceiling over there looking at you right now. It's brown marmorated stink bug, or BMSB. Actually, forget what I said about those of you living under rocks, because this bug likes hanging out under rocks as well, so you would have seen them there. BMSB is an invasive insect that was accidentally introduced to the U.S. some time ago. It was first reported in Pennsylvania in the 90s, where it was mostly considered a nuisance pest. By the early 2000s, it was considered an agricultural pest in mid-Atlantic states, but not until 2010 did tree fruit and vegetable growers see catastrophic losses due to BMSB feeding damage. Piercing sucking feeding by huge numbers of stink bug adults and nymphs leaves fruit bruised and beaten up, sometimes shriveled, definitely unmarketable. It's actually pretty hard to distinguish BMSB feeding damage from native stink bug damage other than the sheer scale of damage when outbreaks happen. BMSB has remained a serious pest for mid-Atlantic growers and parts south in crops like peach, apple, sweet corn, tomato, peppers, raspberries, snap beans, holy moly, you name it, and this stink bug loves it. Adults overwinter in protected locations. Sometimes those protected locations include your house. During this overwintering period, they are not eating or reproducing or laying eggs, nothing like that. They are kind of stinky, but they're not harmful. They don't want to bite you. They're just hanging tight in kind of a physiological stupor until the spring comes. If you don't want to squish BMSB you find in your house, you could just suck them up in a vacuum cleaner. That's probably best management practices when it comes to wintertime household BMSB. Anyway, like I said, they overwinter as adults, which emerge from their overwintering habitats in the spring. They then take to the trees to lay their eggs, relying on a pretty broad host range of trees, including fruit trees, as well as many other forest and ornamental trees. When nymphs hatch, they scamper all around, and I'm only half joking when I say scamper. Baby stink bugs can fly, but they can, co- they can cover quite a bit of ground. So they scamper all around, feeding on the fruits of, again, an incredibly broad range of host plants, and they become the adults that will overwinter the next year, so just one generation a year. Up here in New Hampshire, BMSB has been detected. It has remained firmly in the nuisance category. Our George Hamilton, and since we're talking about BMSB, I should make it clear that we're talking about George Hamilton of UNH Cooperative Extension and not George Hamilton of Rutgers University. And isn't it funny that there are so many George Hamiltons in the story? Anyway, our George Hamilton up here in New Hampshire has been vigilant in his monitoring efforts here in the state, monitoring major fruit growing regions using pheromone baited pyramid traps and turning up pretty low numbers. More on trapping in another episode, but he detected a big jump in numbers last year that had me wondering, when should we start freaking out? So I called up my buddies that know better than I do. 
I'm Rob Morrison. I'm a research entomologist with the USDA ARS Center for Grain and Animal Health Research in Manhattan, Kansas. Rob is currently researching pests of stored products, and I will return to this topic in later episodes. It's, it's really interesting stuff. But Rob spent many years down in the BMSB trenches. I had to compile all the BMSB distribution map over the years as they've been produced by the first BMSB working group and now the second SCRI project. And there's a clear trend, like states go through this process where, you know, first detection, then you have the nuisance problems, and then inevitably like escalates to agricultural problems and then to severe agricultural problems. And compile all the maps, you can see this kind of like stopgap animation spreading out from the mid-Atlantic basically. And it seems like for a long time, it's kind of been stationary up near New England. Um, it's kind of limit has been like more towards New York. Since its introduction, you know, it's quickly expanded to the south, um, into Georgia, South Carolina, um, to the west, um, like in Michigan, uh, Ohio, Illinois. Um, and it, it seems to be continuing to spread west and south. So probably it's just a matter of time before you start having to deal with larger problems when you're first, you know, having those nuisance problems. Um, primarily populations are concentrated around urban areas or kind of developed areas. When you start seeing widespread captures like in the field far away from, you know, houses and stuff like that, that it starts, I think, to be a concerning problem. So our cold climate and rural living may have helped us up here in New Hampshire so far, but who knows what might happen next. We certainly do see more nuisance BMSB problems in the seacoast areas where the climate is both more mild and there are more people with warm buildings for stink bugs to hunker down in for the winter. I asked for more advice on how to know when you have agricultural problems with BMSB from folks who work near the epicenter of the invasion. Hi, my name is Daniel Frank. I'm an extension entomology specialist at West Virginia University. What, what's the status of um, BMSB in West Virginia Apple right now? Like, how are you guys handling? What, what, what's the pest status? Right. So um, it depends on where you're at in the state. So most of our tree fruit is grown in the eastern panhandle of the state. So we have four counties in the eastern panhandle where most of our tree fruit production takes place. And in three of those counties, uh, those are the ones that are going to be right there by Virginia, Maryland. Um, they they get hit hard with with brown marmorated stink bug. Of course, it depends on the year. Some years are higher than others. There's another county that's just over the mountains, and they don't get hit as hard with brown marmorated stink bug. It's it's definitely a, a more sporadic pest. Most years, they they really don't have major issues with it. Do you have any idea why there's such a difference in severity from region to region? I. That's that's one that I've been wondering about, too. I, I don't know if it's just they're not able to get over that mountain range. I mean, that's the only thing I can really, really think of that's you know, the, the big difference between those two areas. You know, you have this mountain range that's dividing it. Why it's more severe you know, on the other side, I, I don't know. At what point should we freak out? What, at, what point, at what point is this going to be like, what, what would be an indicator to you that you have a problem with BMSB? Um, 
I, so just in my own, um, my own personal orchard and some of my research orchards, you know, I'm, I'm out there sampling, um, you know, and I, I get a good idea of, of what the fruit looks like. And so if I'm starting to see a, a preponderance of, of stink bug damage, um, you know, then that kind of lets me know that, that there's an issue. Last year was kind of a weird year for us. Uh, it was just so wet. We didn't have stink bug populations either until very late in the season. Uh, we're looking probably, you know, mid to late September is, is when we really started to notice them in, in the orchards. And so like when I do my sampling, you know, I'm looking at the, at the fruit, but I'm also looking at the leaves and, you know, branches and, and things like that. And if you're not seeing any stink bugs, I mean, if you're going out there and you're sampling these trees and you're not seeing any stink bugs, um, you know, that's, that's good. <laughs> you know, low, low populations. Um, when you, when they really start becoming a problem, you'll notice them in the trees. I mean, they'll, they'll move around. Uh, you'll see them flying around and then you'll, you'll start seeing the, the damage too. So I don't know if that makes you any happier to hear that if you have problems with BMSB, you'll know it. But it sets my mind at ease that we've been keeping an eye on things and will be able to act on serious problems when they do arise. While I am going to return to the topic of what to do if we see agricultural injury and feature much of Ann Nielsen's work at Rutgers University, I wanted to ask her the same question. When should we freak out? If Rob Morrison spent a long time in the BMSB trenches... One could certainly argue that Ann Nielsen was the one that dug those proverbial trenches during her PhD at Rutgers, studying with George Hamilton of New Jersey. I'm Ann Nielsen. I'm an associate extension specialist and professor at Rutgers University. Okay, so just a little bit of background about New Hampshire, which is um, something kind of from a scientific perspective is really, I think, exciting. Um, at Rutgers, we developed an eDNA tool, which is environmental DNA. So it's just these minute traces of DNA that are present in the environment. So it can be things like fecal matter or frass from an insect. It can be a cast skin. It can be a feeding site. So Raphael Valentin, was, who was a graduate student and is now a postdoc, developed a technique to detect environmental DNA in agricultural systems. Before his work, it had all been done in aquatic systems. This was kind of the first, and so it's really exciting. And we actually did this at a farm in New Hampshire as our kind of unknown BMSB presence site. And what we found by using the wash water that the vegetables were uh, cleaned in before they went to market, uh, we were able to detect presence of BMSB based off of the eDNA before the pheromone traps were. So which is exciting because pheromone traps are our primary mechanism to monitor for BMSB. The year after we detected it, the populations of that farm, unfortunately, were much higher and they experienced some, some losses. Okay, so I hope I have you convinced that we're, we're on the scene. We're keeping an eye on the status of BMSB in New Hampshire. Of course, I asked Anne what to make of the fact that last year some of our pheromone traps captured more than the 10 bugs, which is kind of the rule of thumb in terms of threshold. I asked her, should we freak out now? It's not clear cut. There's not a direct relationship between I have five bugs and that means I have 5% injury or five bugs and 25% injury because they move. 
they're constantly moving throughout the orchard, throughout the farm, throughout the landscape. And so it's hard to do these direct correlations. But what I would say is if you're catching them in the traps, then you need to be uh, aware of the potential for injury. You don't need a lot of bugs to cause injury. When we first started studying this back in 2005 or 2006, I know that the farmers I was working with in New Jersey at that point did not know they had brown marmorant stink bug. I had seen a couple on their farm um, visually, but numbers were really low. I still documented 25% injury on their fruit at harvest. Holy moly, 25% injury at harvest. Well, even though we did catch more BMSB and pheromone traps in New Hampshire last year than we ever had before, I didn't see much of any sting bug damage at harvest. So the take home here is that you should be aware of the potential for crop injury due to this invasive pest, but don't freak out, not yet. IPM specialists down in the mid-Atlantic states spent decades working towards a pretty stellar IPM program, convincing their growers to pull back on calendar-based sprays, use thresholds, rely on biocontrols for things like aphids, uh, behavioral controls like mating disruption for certain key pests. Those of us who witnessed the outbreak of BMSB saw that work kind of go down the drain as it required a return to heavy reliance on broad-spectrum insecticides throughout the summer season to protect their crops from BMSB. But don't be forlorn. We will return to this topic to discuss monitoring strategies, and Ann Nielsen will perform a little CPR on Mid-Atlantic Tree Fruit IPM. Thanks to Rob Morrison of USDA, Daniel Frank of West Virginia University, and Ann Nielsen of Rutgers University. And a very special thanks to Brentwood's favorite son, Jason Lightbound, who wrote and performed our theme music. Informed on IPM is a production of University of New Hampshire Cooperative Extension, an equal opportunity educator and employer. All music is used by permission or by Creative Commons licensing. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the university, its trustees, or its volunteers. Inclusion or exclusion of commercial enterprises in this podcast does not equate endorsement. The University of New Hampshire, New Hampshire counties, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture cooperate to provide extension programming in the Granite State. Learn more at extension.unh.edu. We're not recording video, right? No, it's just going to be audio. <laughs>